Welcome to Venture Boldly, an Alter podcast. Each week, we host inspiring conversations with game-changing entrepreneurs, investors, and operators, building and scaling the tech ecosystems of Latin America, South and Southeast Asia, Africa, and the Middle East. At Alter Global, we are a different kind of Silicon Valley venture capital firm. Beyond returns, we are guided by a belief in the power of tech unicorns rather than traditional foreign aid to completely transform nations. Our founders are role models in the making, catalyzing the next wave of ventures in their communities. Our entrepreneurs are not just building their companies, they're building their countries. Hi everyone, thanks so much for tuning in today. My name is Yana, your host and Alter Global's head of platform. I'm so excited to introduce today's guest, an Alter entrepreneur and good friend joining us from Lagos, Nigeria, Kennedy Ekezie. Kennedy is the CEO and co-founder of Kipa, an end-to-end financial management solution that provides merchants across Africa digital tools to run their businesses. Born in Lagos, Kennedy studied in Calabar and joined Accenture Nigeria before pursuing a fully funded master's degree in economics in Beijing. After returning to Lagos, Kennedy dove headfirst into the rapidly growing Nigerian tech ecosystem, building his first company in the HR space and later pivoting to what is now Kipa. For those that may not know, Nigeria is home to five of the seven fintech unicorns on the African continent. Its strong and growing fintech ecosystem is driven largely by its increasing smartphone penetration and a massive unbanked population open to new tools and solutions, representing an incredibly fertile environment for innovation. Today, we'll dive into how his early experiences shaped him, the making of Kipa, how Kennedy invests in himself outside of work, and his reflections on and predictions for the African tech ecosystem. First up, because Alter has founders all over the world, I always like to get a sense of where you're calling in from. So I am in San Francisco. It's currently 7.20 in the morning, and it's your typical San Francisco summer of very cold mornings and warm afternoons. What is life like in Lagos right now? It's a very sunny July afternoon. And the good thing about being in Lagos is we have very constant weather across the year. So that's not something I rarely ever have to check the weather app. So it's a typical day in Lagos. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to visit. Yes. We gave our listeners an overview of Kipa. But before we dive in, can you share with us a little bit about your background, where you grew up, what it was like? experiences that you had that shaped you? Yeah, of course, of course. So um, I was born in June of 98, three days after the country was, you know, just came out of one of the worst military dictatorships. That was kind of the setting, right? One year after that, we became a democratic country and have been ever since. And, you know, I think the social and economic conditions surrounding the broader Nigeria at the time I was born also took effect on my family. My parents had a business. My dad specifically had a business which he lost and mostly became unemployed for a while. My mom became a school teacher. She started by homeschooling me. So for the first three years of my life, I was homeschooled by my mom exclusively and was born in Lagos. So I had an older sister. My brother, Duke, who is my co-founder too, came two years after. So he was born in 2000 and all three of us grew up together. 
So I spent the first eight years of my life in Lagos. When I was eight, my family moved to, to Kalabaiti, very small town in the south of Nigeria, the southernmost part of Nigeria, you know, shares a direct border with Cameroon. And I grew up there. I think one of the most exciting things about growing up in, in a small town like that is your parents and your very small group of friends directly influence how you grow up and, you know, what sort of experiences you're exposed to versus a large city like Lagos where, you know, you're, you're really exposed to so many things outside of the control of, you know, of your parents. I got into college at 16, so, you know, went to high school in Calabar, got into college at 16 to study philosophy, which I was very intrigued by. In my first year of college, I, I joined the school's debating team which is a very funny story. First day I went, I was very intimidated by everyone there, ran away for two weeks. I couldn't go back. And, you know, in that two weeks, bought a book on public speaking, read it cover to cover like three times and, you know, mustered enough courage to go back and like sit in one tiny corner. But anyways, that was how it started. I, all four years in college, I, I was a competitive debater, you know, was ranked, you know, ultimately went from that to, you know, one and a half years later, being the top debater in the country. And, you know, was staff for two years. I graduated from university four years after. So in 2017, right after graduation, I moved back to Lagos, you know. So this was what, 11 years after I initially moved to Calabar with my family. That was the first time ever I was back. So moved back to Lagos to work at Accenture's office there. I was the youngest employee in the Lagos office at the time, was working on the management consulting team. And I was at Accenture for a little under a year and, and moved to China. I got a very exciting scholarship as a Yenching scholar. I was the first Nigerian selected to, to the Yenching Scholars Program. And I thought it was a very great opportunity for me to see another part of the world. I was very young and it was going to be the first time I was going to move out of Nigeria for that long. And it was a very exciting opportunity for me. Lived in China for two years and moved back to Nigeria in 2020 at the start of the pandemic. That's when I started, you know, officially became an entrepreneur and tried a series of experiments and ultimately started to build um, Kip. I'm sure we'll dive into that. But that's that's a very quick summary. There's lots of, you know, pockets of details across each of those phases of my of my life and growth. But I'm sure we'll probably dive into some of them. Wow. Incredible. I, I can't imagine having such a wide range and diversity of experiences so early in a given life and to just navigate also what that looks like, you know, leaving your home at a young age, living in a different country, particularly when you're the first person really to do so from your immediate cohort and to, to navigate that experience. What was that like for you? One theme that has been consistent in, in my life is just transitions. Being born in a family that was pretty well off because we had a business and transitioning from when my dad lost that to like being very, you know, a lot less, less well off, you know, moving from Lagos to a very small town when I was really young, adjusting to what that meant and going into university, being in class with people who were, you know, the next youngest person was four years older than me. Um, so I feel like transitions and that feeling of transitioning was has been baked into my life from a very young age and at the point when i had to move from lagos to beijing it was one that i didn't even have to think about there was no existential back and forth for oh god what am i going to do the first time it actually hit me was when i landed in beijing and i was trying to figure out what to have for dinner the day i landed 
I realized, whoa, like I actually like this is very different. Like all the meals I'm used to, you know, having, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to eat something I can't pronounce now. And that was the first time I'm like, this is a very significant transition that I that I just made. But because of the nature of the program, it was very global um, and they were catering to you know, the transitions that all hundred of us in the cohort were making. There were like enough buffers, you know, put around us to to help us absorb the shock. I was in a community of, of 99 other scholars from, from 30 different countries. So we're all equally confused and navigated <laughs> the chaos together. So having that having that community was was super helpful to settling in and dealing with that transition at the time. Yeah, I, I can definitely understand how having a cohort of people going through a similar experience with you is a massive help. Though I also think your ability to generally take on different experiences and really use them as you know learning opportunities and opportunities to personally grow is a testament more to you and to who you are. And I actually think that leads well into the next thing that I wanted to ask you, which is what something that maybe a lot of people don't know is that Keepa, the business that you have been building for the last year now, is actually not your first venture. Can you tell us a little bit about what that first company was and what made you transition now to working on Keepa? Yeah, so um, around November of 2019, I was on the phone one of you know very early mornings at like 2 a.m. Beijing time with my brother Duke on the phone, right? And we were speaking quite a lot that period. And I think there was a lot of like startup activity that started to happen. Um, you know, companies like Andela, Paystack, Waterwave were really, you know, leading the charts then. And Duke was just telling me, look, Kennedy, because the, the plan for me was when I was going into grad school, I, you know, like I was going to graduate and go work at McKinsey, right? That was the plan going in. It's like, Kennedy, like, his words were, all of these people who are building startups aren't as smart as you are. Why Why are you not thinking of doing this seriously? And he was, he had a lot more conviction in my ability to do this than I, and for context, he was in his final year of college then, right? He hadn't even graduated. I was like, whoa, like, why, why are you saying this? And anyways, thought about it. We spoke um, a lot more and we decided that we were going to try to do something together. So that was around when he was going to graduate. And, you know, my, our parents' expectation was he'll graduate and go, go get a job. But I think to their initial discomfort, although it wasn't like verbally expressed, but we knew they were like, huh, this is two of our sons, you know, like they probably should go get a job, you know, and like start to take care of like themselves and like return some money back home if they can. Right. But two of them are taking this enormous risk. And um, in January of 2020, we started, you know, I had moved back to Nigeria then from Beijing and we started building a software recruiting startup that helped early stage companies in the U.S. compliantly hire software engineers from Africa. And I think that experience was was necessary for whatever it is we're going to do next, you know, which ended up being Kippa. It taught us a lot about how to build with each other and also navigating the, the emotional vicissitudes that comes with trying to build something. And how we started building that was, you know, a combination of our savings, a mentor of mine who is like, look, I trust you, right? I have some money. I'm going to give it to you because I trust you. Like, I don't know what the business is or what you're going to do, but go figure it out. That was the first time, like, okay, I'm all in, you know, I think. And that's also a, a point where every entrepreneur, you know, makes that decision for no matter how it goes, even if it takes me five years to figure out this business, I'm all in. Like, there's no going back. There's no going back to, 
try to get a job at McKinsey. At least that was what I said to myself. And, you know, beyond that point, I was committed that no matter how long it took me, I was going to figure it out. And so we worked on that for a little under nine months. And we're doing, you know, pretty well by our standards. Like we hadn't like ever done anything that made us that much money before. Right. But what we knew deep down was, you know, one, COVID happened and the entire global like market for outsourcing and hiring, like it changed. It changed beyond our ability mm-hmm. to comprehend and grapple with how quickly it was changing. Right. We are still trying to learn about what the world was and it was changing right before our front. And the market we were in was changing the fastest. And so we thought our skill set, our potential could be put to use to solving a different, bigger problem in our market, right? And I think what that nine months also did for us, it reinforced our belief in ourselves to do whatever it is that we say we want to do. And, you know, without fear, you know, coupled with some, you know, a decent amount of naivety. And I think that's necessary, right? Going blindly in without calculating the risks. That was what we worked on. And, you know, we eventually transitioned out of that to start to build Keeper. But it was such an exciting time. What an experience to have. I, In a similar way, I remember when I was starting a company, it was a really interesting mental shift to go through the experience of telling yourself, hey, actually, no matter how any of this turns out or how it develops, it's already an incredible success because you learn so much about yourself, about the business environment, about how to take something in general from zero to one, which is, it's a skill set and a learning that you can't pick up in school and you can't pick up through a traditional experience. You have to go through the process of doing it yourself and learning along the way. And I think anything that you do around that, be it hiring your first team members or negotiating that first partnership contract or anything else, it all makes a tremendous difference. And I look back on that experience with uh, so much gratitude and excitement for having the chance to go through that process. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like we, we felt exactly the same way. And, you know, for us, it wasn't about the outcome, but who we became in the process. So, yeah. Yeah, agreed. I I think about that a lot. So I think the sentiment is shared there. Tell us, what was it like to build something with your brother and now to be doing the same thing? Not many folks get the opportunity to do something like that with their family. So what, what was that like? And now as you continue to build Kipa together, what is that dynamic? Yeah. So, you know, like I said, like I alluded to earlier, I probably even started building because of my brother, right? I think at that point and, you know, very much so up up until now, there's no one else in this world who has a 360 degree understanding of my strengths and weaknesses like Duke does. It allows for trust. It allows for easy communication because when communication is made, both people know where it's coming from. And honestly, it just makes it feel like it's a lot more fun that way, you know, because me being with my brother, you know, when we talk to our family, we're talking as a united front and, you know, it it makes it feel like I have a companion on the journey in that sense, you know, like my family is with me and, you know, he's with me and I think he feels exactly the same way. It's also just giving us an, an incredible opportunity to build a lot of depth with our personal friendship, you know, which we had. 
and had solidified, you know, before, even before we started working on this. I mean, Duke and I had slept on the same bed since we were, like, since he was born up until I left for, you know, to grad school. So it's, there's, there's a lot of friendship and, you know, communication and trust. It's hard, you know, like we still have the challenges that every founding team has, you know, we, we fight, but the good thing is we truly know how to fight. Like we can, we're not afraid to turn up the volume when we're fighting. We're not afraid to escalate. And, you know, because we know that 30 minutes later, we can put that aside and, you know, we're talking like brothers. So it's very easy now. It's much easier now to go between both worlds. And I think we've mastered the art. So um, if there are any siblings who want to start businesses together, they should come to us for, for consultation. <laughs> And hopefully now your parents are a lot more on board too from the expectation of having two sons in the, the very stable, secure corporate world to two sons building a business together. Yeah, no, they, they, they're very much on board. They're very much on board. I think what you said around having the foundation of trust and understanding of one another is so critical when you're building a business with another person. And I think... The way you're describing is really critical towards building a business that is sustainable and scalable, where you have two people that really feel like, even if we don't necessarily agree day to day on the strategy or a particular initiative that we're trying to drive forward, we trust one another and we feel very strongly convicted around building this thing together. It's so critical and also difficult to build. And so I think. It's amazing that you've been able to develop that kind of relationship together. Yeah, we, we just leave decision making along the lines of our strengths to the other person. So he knows when to defer to like my, my decision making. I know exactly when to do his because I know he's stronger at certain things than I am. So it just it becomes it becomes, you know, muscle memory at some point. Like you just know when to, to listen to the other person and vice versa. So, yeah, super grateful. Another thing that I, I would love to talk about a little bit with you is I think this moment in time that we're building in in general as entrepreneurs or as investors in our case, it's incredibly interesting and dynamic. More companies than ever are being founded altogether around the world. It's it's no longer congregated in you know a few central world locations, but really much more global and diverse. And also prior to the last few months and kind of this different macroeconomic climate that we're in also saw higher levels of funding than ever before. So if we relate that to the African tech ecosystem specifically for a moment, can you share with us a bit about what are you seeing in terms of entrepreneurship in, in Lagos and in Nigeria on the rest of the continent, what's standing out to you? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a very exciting time now. And I think it's no more outlandish to decide to, you know, leave the traditional security and build something. And I think that's an, an overall net good for, for the labor force. It's an overall net good for, for the development of, of our economy. You know, tech is more attractive now and you know, more and more young people are looking to, um, you know, every day I get tens of messages on LinkedIn from first year students in college asking for internships at Kipan, you know, and leaving the banks where they originally would love to. And 
I think that's that's incredible because one of the things about you know the difference between working in tech is there's a lot of primacy that's placed on on competence and for a lot of young people starting to develop that because of their interest from day one. And even going into very, there's, you know, there's a kid who is like a, a teenager, I think he's like 17 and he's like a content marketer and like he's obsessed about it and he's making LinkedIn posts every day about the strides he's making. I'm like, look, like that's exactly, you know, a byproduct of, you know, the, the scaling of, of technology ventures across the country today. And I think that's, that's incredibly great. Of course, it does come with it. Well, I wouldn't say downside, but I think sides that need to be carefully addressed if we're we're going to scale this, right? Uh, one part of me has a fear that we may go through this wave of insanely exciting, like you know, presence of capital, and a lot of that is, may not translate into you know, like real life solutions for the everyday people. I still think we. As a tech ecosystem, we are in our like Eiffel Tower, like building up there and like fancy. And, you know, we need to bring it down to the marketplace. And I think like everyone recognizes that and more and more we're seeing a lot more people building that. You know, another thing I'm also seeing from the perspective of a founder, you know, and this is more like on the, you know, on the negative side, but we, we have to we have to solve for this is we've had a very limited talent market before now. And all of a sudden, there's more capital on the market than there's talent. And our response to that has been one, like to pay people a lot, which, you know, makes sense, right? But it's also been internally to reward people because capital is now a commodity. We give people titles. And so it becomes very, it's a lot harder to hire people because the expectations you have for certain title levels that have just been given out to incentivize people to stay doesn't match the reality of the skill set that you're hiring for. And so I think this frustration is shared by a lot of founders, especially founders who don't have so much money to, you know, like pay people to come into their companies. And um, so that that's something that I think we we also need to think about, continue to to invest in building our talent pipelines from when kids come out of high school to when they enter university and come out of that. We need to strengthen our pipelines to solve that problem. And that's happening at scale. The adventure has been founded to do this. Overall, I think for me. This is the best time for anyone who has a dream and truly does have a dream and, you know, has has this the skill set to back that, to build their dreams, right? And to contribute to the growth of the continent 20, 30, 50 years from now. And it's a great opportunity. And I feel blessed that, you know, my co-founders and I, my team and I have such a unique opportunity to be part of that in a meaningful way. Yeah, well, so, so many points that you mentioned that I, I want to speak to. I think, first of all, I agree with you completely that there's there's a very large and important paradigm here between building for the 99% and building for the one. And I think in emerging markets, for a period of time, of the companies that were being developed internally, many were tailored towards that 1% because it seemed like the way to revenue, the way to profitability, targeting a demographic of people that you felt secure would be able to pay for whatever product or service you were creating. But I think you're right that in doing so, you overlook a tremendous opportunity and really then you miss out on this larger impact of bringing along kind of a whole generation of people in this digital transformation and in this just growth stage. And so we at Alter are 
very much are aligned with with your thinking on this and are a lot more interested in and focused on connecting with founders and learning about ideas that are really foundational, as we like to say. So they are they're necessary. They're they're prerequisites for kind of cohesive innovation to take place for not only, you know, a small part, for example, of the Nigerian tech ecosystem to thrive, but it is what will enable the general Nigerian population to grow, to take on the, the next level of digitization, the next level of kind of full equitable global participation in entrepreneurship in that way. So I think that's really interesting. Yeah, well, you know, from from the perspective of investors and, you know, I think Alta has such a unique approach that any any venture, you know, any VC like looking to invest in emerging markets should adopt. I think it's very different to be building in Nigeria and in, in Africa at large, or I dare say in any emerging economy. Because building here, as we all know, it's, it takes time. It truly takes time to build businesses that are going to be generational. And, you know, we're not just thinking about it as build quick, become unicorn, exit, like next. Like, no, like if we're truly to avoid, uh, you know, sclerosis, in the stuff that we build, it takes time, it takes patience, you know, it takes a dedicated amount of effort. And it's not just everything like we can throw money at, right? I, I think that's just a very unique perspective that I see um, and different with, you know, working with partners like Altar. And we need more of those. We also need, of course, more local investors that have context around the local market. And truly, truly, like as founders, not build from a place of insecurity and understand that, look, we we our mandate is a little different, right? Where we're building generationally and, you know, the people we're building for a little different than the people being built for another market and stay disciplined about that. It, and that's something I'm learning too. You know, it does take a lot of confidence and conviction in what and why you're building to stand up to, to people that want you to do otherwise. Um, and that's something I'll say we need to do more. Absolutely. I think it does take a lot more inner conviction and also passion, I think, for combining entrepreneurship and this business drive with an inner mission, an inner guiding force, a sense of driving forward this larger goal and its impact. And I think I feel excited and grateful every day to get to work with people like you because I think that it's an exceptional example of someone that not only wants to build a business for the sake of, like we said, reaching that unicorn status, exiting and then moving on and doing something related to your personal gain, but rather thinking really intentionally about what can I build that is going to be valuable impactful for the everyday Nigerian citizen or the everyday African business at large, not just today, but tomorrow. And how do I scale on top of that? And it's amazing. It's a gift to be able to support people like that. And I'm really excited by the fact that interest in this space only continues to increase because I think that we're, we're still just at chapter one, if even at chapter one. And I can't wait to see what the next decade brings. Me too. Though I think you also did touch on a really important point around the talent gap in the pipeline right now. And I think that is something really important to be addressed. 
I'm excited about the initiatives that are coming out around individual ventures or university partnerships that are a lot more focused on, okay, how can we cultivate tech interests and tech talent from within? And I think in the meantime, also, it is about bringing more awareness to the exciting and innovative businesses being built within Nigeria and Africa as a whole, so that potentially engineers or data scientists or product managers or people with great operator and finance backgrounds will come and work for a Nigerian startup as much as they would for any other high growth potential startup. Yeah, 100%. And around this, there are also unique challenges we face, right? In Nigeria, for example, all federal university students have been sitting at home for the past three months because university professors are on strike, right? That's such an insane problem that if you don't come from here, you're like, that doesn't make sense. What does that mean, right? And for us, like, we have two very smart folks we have on the Kipa team who are interning with us. And you know, they are students and they are home because they couldn't their schools are shut down and they are gaining meaningful experience from here. And, you know, like when you compare people like them to the classmates who aren't doing things like this, who they are going to meet when they go back, it's just going to be a world of like difference, right? And so I think we need more and more startups to, to plug into these pipelines to get as many smart people as we can, you know, upskill them and get them into the labor force very quickly if they want to do that, of course. Wow, three months of not being able to go to class because of, of a strike. I, I think that's a, a really vivid example of the importance also of understanding the locality that you're in. And I, I do agree with you that even for an organization like us, which is so focused on investing globally and I think has developed a really strong understanding of the nuances of every market, even we wouldn't be able to be as effective in our work if not for the partners that we have locally that can keep us educated and informed about things like this and their impacts also on the broader entrepreneurship ecosystem. Because undoubtedly, all of these things cause ripple effects back to founders and their teams. And it's meaningful. It is. 100%. I know like very many venture founders building like software for universities and classes and like for three months plus, like, and it's the strike has no end in sight, you know, it's just what do I do, you know, and trying to figure pivots out. So these are sort of the unique challenges that we face. But, you know, it's good. We're also facing them at a time where, you know, we have a lot of support and can build long lasting solutions to them. So the generation that comes after us do not have to face these problems. I think that's just a unique, you know, thing about building in a, in a time like this. There's a deep sense of meaning behind it. And yeah, it feels, feels fulfilling and keeps you going when times are very difficult. You and I have had some personal conversations about this in the past, but I think it's something interesting to bring up for a broader audience too. Being a founder can be very all-consuming and it's difficult to find balance between what you're focused on day to day and who you are, what your life looks like potentially outside of the business and how do you find those moments of pursuing your own interests still and finding time for your family and everything else. And so a question for you is, how have you found that balance to look like now? What is working for you? And how are you showing up for yourself on a daily basis? 
Yeah, um, that's it's such an important topic. Right? I think being being a founder is a very great exercise in putting yourself last. I think it's part and parcel of the job. But for me right now, I'm I'm also at a place where I've been thinking about that very actively. And you know, you're one of the people who I've spoken to about it. And I'm trying to get the first order priority of needs sorted. So things like getting good sleep, right? That's one thing I'm actively working on. I think it's a great act of just, you know, self-care overall and affect my productivity. I'm trying to spend more time with my friends over the weekend and not just spend my weekends like trying to catch up on, you know, sleep because I didn't get good sleep during the week. So I think sorting those out, very important. I'm also just trying to go back home to see my parents more often, right? The goal for me when I started the year was to go every quarter. I've kind of exceeded that. I'm doing like once every two months now. And that's good. Like it's it's very meaningful to just go back and spend time with them. And I realize when I'm with them, like I, I sleep the best when I'm at, in my, at my parents' house. This is when I, you know, when I when I come back home to my house. So that that's super meaningful, um, you know, to me. Spend more time just building friendships. You know, when we started building Kippa and even the first version of our company, we moved to a very small town to save costs, essentially to just create solitude that allowed us focus. And I think that has all that's been my for the past two years, we've lived in solitude. So we can focus and build this business. And you know, now starting to to invest more time in building and maintaining actual friendships. That has been very, very meaningful. Also trying to to go back to playing sports again. So, you know, football, uh, my my co-founders do such a better job at this than I do. I'm going to the gym. The <laughs> no, seriously, they do. Um, but going to the gym is something that, you know, I, I do that like five times every week. So I think that that is my most consistent self, self-care ritual overall. You know, the, the, the journey is my life, right? And I think that I'm still... I'm still learning about, about myself, what my needs are. Uh, my girlfriend keeps me very, very, very accountable, and she's doing a great job of it. And I'm finally letting her do that. So I think that's the more interesting part. And I'm excited to see how you know the next six months go on that front. You know, there, there's this idea of a balance, and I think we traditionally think about that as, okay, it, it's going to stack out to being 50-50, or that's all we're aiming towards. But actually, I, I don't necessarily think that's the right paradigm. It doesn't necessarily need to be a perfect equilibrium. But I think what is important is that you do, first of all, have the level of self-awareness to figure out for yourself, what is it that I specifically need in order to show up every day excited and energized and passionate still about this thing that I'm building that is so central to my life. And I think once you've done that exercise and you've aligned, okay, first, like you said, hierarchy of needs, I need to get good sleep. Then beyond that, it's okay, well, well, what is important to me now? And how can I make time for that now? And I think that also naturally changes over time. But to be able to figure out what those things are for yourself and integrate them in even a little bit each day, each week is incredibly important because like you said, this, this is a true example of not a sprint, but a, a genuine marathon where you are really building something for the future. And so you want to set yourself up for success as early as possible around doing so in a way that keeps you engaged and is sustainable and deeply attuned to this passion within you that is eager to build something that's can be transformative to the community and to even the country at large over time. 
Yeah, and for me, one thing that has, it's a realization I came to recently, I've personally tended to, to conflate delaying gratification with delaying happiness, right? There, there are two things that are similar but very different because I, again, like one of the things, you know, I my parents like told us, like, delay gratification, you know, work hard now and enjoy later. Like, you know, and I think that's just part and parcel of how my brain is wired and I think is probably very important to be successful. But that has come inextricably tied with the tendency to be like, oh, I'll be happy tomorrow. Let me get through this. And tomorrow I'll be happy. Like when we solve the, all of these problems we have to solve, I'm going to be happy. But I realized like, okay, like when is that point exactly? You know, and I'm living my dream. I'm building an important, you know, solution to, to an important problem. I have people around me who believe insanely in me and in what we're building. I have a family that loves me very much. And you know, I have everything I need and like that happiness I'm postponing to the future. Like this is the time to just, you know, be happy. And I think there's a lot of balance it creates that also pours into your work. You know, you show up every day with a great level of fulfillment and, you know, not deferring positive feelings um, because I, it's actually something I have to learn. And I think I'm getting better at it and decoupling both of those. I think that's awesome. First of all, it's certainly not something that, you can come to overnight and feeling like you're necessarily balancing the two well, or that it's going to stay stagnant or static rather. But I think that it is a really, it's an important journey to figure out for yourself. And something that I've done that has been really impactful on my life the last few months, as I've been also thinking about this idea of how can you be fully present and find joy and meaning and happiness in your day-to-day life rather than having it be this future attainable goal is actually following a, a templated journal in the morning and in the evening that has you focus on three things first thing in the morning that you wake up and that you are grateful for that day. And some days it's a past memory, some days it's a good night's sleep in a warm bed. Some days it's looking outside and seeing the sun and hearing birds outside the window and ending the day with three great things that happened to you that day, be it a hug from a friend, a good cup of coffee, a dinner with your parents. I think finding time every single day to acknowledge the little things that happen that bring you joy and to then work on increasing those moments is I think incredibly important. Absolutely. Absolutely. I need to I also need to get better with the rituals because I think those are also important and um staying staying disciplined and you know not like getting self-conscious like Jesus, what am I doing? Like, you know, I I, I tend to I tend to feel that way. Like why am I writing this thing? Like for whom am I writing it? But uh, it's indeed, you know, a, a long term journey and and I'm excited to at least have started it. Well, thank you so much, Kennedy, for for taking the time, for talking to us, sharing what your experience building Keepa has been like so far, what the moments are that brought you here, and, and really what's driving you to continue building every day and to truly hustle. I admire you a lot, and I'm very grateful to, to continue learning from you and watching Keepa's growth. If any of our listeners want to get in touch with you, is there anything that I can share with them to do so? Absolutely. My LinkedIn is, I, 
Um, I have that tab open always, and I try to respond to as many messages as I can on there. So please connect with me on LinkedIn. I'll be very happy to connect and um, get in touch too. Awesome. Thank you. I will make sure to put the link into the show notes for any of our listeners that are interested in getting in touch. And otherwise, thank you so much. Really appreciate you taking the time and excited to talk more with you soon. Absolutely. This was great. At the end of today, if I'm to write my three things, this would be on the list of those things. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Venture Boldly. We'll be back soon. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes. To learn more about our ventures or meet our team, you can visit our website at alter.vc. That's A-L-T-E-R dot We'll catch you next time on Venture Boldly, an Alter podcast.